the Pro Tools Expert podcast with Mike Thornton, Julian Rogers, and Alan Salabank. Welcome to the Pro Tools Expert podcast 335, sponsored by Exponential Audio. It's the 3rd of September 2018. I'm Mike Thornton. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Alan Salabank. Whilst we're talking about exponential audio, there's a clever little trick on making small rooms using the exponential audio reverb. Michael Carnes uh, from Exponential has produced a great tutorial using Phoenix Verb. But what Michael shows will work with all exponential audio reverb plugins. What's surprising is that it isn't all about early reflections when creating small rooms. In his uh, reverbs, the reverb engine itself provides a complementary set of reflections, but the trick is to turn the reverb down to minimum. But there's a lot more in Michael's comprehensive tutorial, so do check it out. There'll be a link in the show notes. And we've also got a podcast-exclusive deal on some of the Exponential Audio Reverb plugins, but you'll have to wait a while to hear about that one. So deals. Don't forget to check out the deals from our partners on the deals page. It's the last few days for quite a few of these deals, and highlights include Labor Day sales from Isotope and Audionamics. Isotope are offering discounts on RX6 as they have announced RX7 is on its way. Avid are offering 65% discount on their Pro Series plug-in bundle, and some great offers from Softube, including 50% off their Abbey Road Studios Brilliance Pack. Great. Okay, let's move on to Talking Points, and these are sponsored by Universal Audio. Good morning, children. This is Fab Dupont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast Talking Points are brought to you with the support of Universal Audio. Looking for a new audio interface? Well, for a limited time, you can buy a Universal Audio Rack Mount Apollo interface. That's the Apollo 8, 8P, 16, or Apollo Firewire from an authorised UA retailer at an unprecedented saving of up to 20% off the RRP. This offer is valid until September the 15th, 2018. You can find out more through the link in the podcast notes. So first talking point, uh, an article that uh, I put out last week, has Netflix turned the clock back 10 years or is their new loudness delivery spec a stroke of genius? Um, Alan, uh, what, where do you stand on this? It, presumably you've been, uh, had time to take a look at my uh, mon- monster of an article. Yeah, it's... Oh. Where do you start, is it? <laughs> well, where do I start? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I thought we'd come to a very agreeable, um, well, not compromise, but a very agreeable standard with R128. Um, and it seemed to work very well for um, uh, sell-through uh, distribution as well as television. So I'm talking sell-through, I mean DVD or Blu-ray or um, or streaming. So... It seems to work fine. And, uh, you know, R128 is also legible on a mobile device. Um, and with the correct metering tools and everything, it, it's actually quite easy to work to in a, in a post-production environment. And what, but what really gets me with the, um, the new Netflix, um, spec is they seem to be trying to widen the dynamic range and limit the, well, control the dialogue level. But I, it, it's an odd one because the, the, you say in your article they're aiming more at the cinema range. They consider themselves more a cinema distributor now and they're trying to push themselves out. But this new spec only applies to the near-field mixes. Yes. Which goes which go out on the same kit as their regular TV content. So they've actually got two standards now. So if you're going to, if you're working on a Netflix original cinema content thing, which for various reasons you know they are keen to have at least a limited cinema release of their material, even though they might not, it might go straight to streaming. But mm. I, I don't know whether this is a tax loophole thing. I mean, it used to be the case. Yeah, ten years ago, we used to have the um, the, the film finance arrangement in the UK where if you could prove that your 90-minute-long TV program was going to get a cinema release, even a handful of cinemas, for one day, 
you got a tax rebate. So it's a bit... I, I, I don't know what the reasoning about this is, and it seems quite contradictory, and it seems to be trying to reinvent the wheel somewhat. And it, it drew me... I was drawn to one particular aspect on your um, on your article. It says, loudness range of dialogue. Dialogue must be acquired and mixed so that it is clear and easy to understand. So acquired? So are we now telling... Are we now going to be in the position of telling production sound mixers that their content is too dynamic? And are they then going to pass that on to the director and to the actor? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I think I, we, we're going to get back into this whole Jamaica Inn debate yeah. about who's actually responsible for legibility. Yes. Um, plus also, I mean, back yeah, as 10 years ago, I had absolute nightmares with co-productions where I had to meet the old Neg 27 Dolby Dial norm uh, standard, but then also deliver the same mix to BBC, onto DVD, all these sort of things. And it was resulting in a lot of legibility issues um, in that, you know, as, as long as you were hitting the loudness range target, it didn't matter how suicidally loud your sound effects and music were. Mm. Um, it just, I don't know. I, I, I don't really understand why they're implementing this. And I don't, I can't see that it's going to be beneficial to anybody, any consumers, that is. I mean, I've seen, you know, when this first got, you know, came to light, I saw a lot of sound effects editors saying, well, hey, yeah, we can play our sound effects louder over the dialogue. And I said, well, that's not the point, No, you can't, because the delivery delivery spec also says that there needs to be at least, uh, from memory, 4LU between uh, dialogue and sound effects underneath. So uh, that's that's certainly not going to work. Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking uh, I'm kind of – I'm probably not going to say a great deal in this uh, because this isn't really my world. And uh, But as a consumer, it's your world. It, it, it is. Absolutely, but yeah. I want to kind of rewind very slightly just because um, uh, you're digging into the detail, which is going to make some people really happy. But I think there might be some other people who are going, okay, whoa, whoa, what was this about then? So just it to me in kind of like uh, in, in a couple of sentences, um, what's, what's happened so in broadcast uh, circles, and broadcast uh, I define as one to many, so that includes things like Netflix and Amazon Prime who are streaming, rather than the more traditional perhaps broadcast model of something that goes via a transmitter, uh, or a satellite dish for that matter. Um, but we have this workflow here in Europe, EBU R128. In the US and Canada, it's ATSC A85. But essentially, what we're doing is normalizing program content based on perceived loudness rather than peak level. Great. Prior so that, far, I'm down with that, and I yeah. knew that was a thing. So okay, what have so, Netflix done? So what Netflix has done, it could be argued, is they've taken a a delivery format that predates the uh, loudness normalization, perceived loudness normalization model, BS1770, um, with a system called Dolby Dianorm. That's dial norm, uh, all one word. Uh, And that was a a technique that was uh, used by Dolby uh, and were used DVD players, digital delivery systems, and essentially what it did is measure the level of the dialogue and ignored everything else. So as Alan quite rightly pointed out, you have the situation where uh, content producers could have really loud uh, music and effects as long as the dialogue met the spec uh, of minus 27 uh, measured with a a thing called LEQA, which is different to what we use in mm. the convention, the, the current loudness specs. But as long as it hit minus, the dialogue level hit minus 27, all was good. So can I gist it back at you and you can tell me if I've got it? Yeah. Um, so in that case, they're saying the bit with the information in is the bit that has to be right. And if it's got, if someone's talking and a bomb goes off, the bomb should be loud. Whereas if, <laughs> if something, uh, somebody's rustling a crisp packet, it should possibly be proportionally quieter but as long as you're taking how loud the bit that's got the story in it as your 
level that you're setting everything else around, then it gives enough flexibility for things to maybe work a little better. Is that it? It's certainly one way of looking at it, um, because what ha- what's happened is Netflix have essentially taken the the algorithm that Dolby used to extract the dialogue or to be able to measure just the dialogue of an, a full mix and applied that to the measurement systems that we now use for uh, perceived loudness. Uh, so that's the first difference. And they have then specified a level of dialogue which, for my view, is too quiet for domestic consumption. Absolutely, yeah. We currently work to a perceived loudness of the entire mix for the full duration of the program of minus 23. What, in reality, in my humble opinion, should be happening is that, in reality, the dialogue level should be around that minus 23. It obviously can't be more than 23, give or take, because then the average of the whole program is not going to work. But, in essence, what that means is the dialogue level should be somewhere around 1LU quieter than the overall average. That gives you, in the sort of law of averaging across an entire program, the opportunity to make some things quite loud. One of the problems we had when we were working to a maximum true peak, sorry, a maximum peak level, is that if we had gunshots or anything that sort of dramatic explosions, we couldn't make them louder than the dialogue because the dialogue was peaking in BBC numbers, PBM6 plus uh, 8 dBU, give or take, um, and... We couldn't make something like a, a an impact, like an explosion or a gunshot, louder than that. Which gave rise to a whole generation of people who were astonished at how loud guns are are in real yeah. life. <laughs> so, with the with the with the loudness uh, perceived loudness standards that we've been working for for four years or so, longer in some countries, shorter in less in others. Um, because if we just run our dialogue very slightly lower than the average. We can have occasional moments of dramatic um, excitement, like gunshots and explosions, and even shouts. And even shouts. And what it means is, when the whole program is averaged out, we hit our target of minus twenty-three. So I, I can talk to this because there's there's only there's only one thing really that's kind of part of my world, and that's the delivery spec number thing. And uh, so that you were saying, what minus twenty-three is yeah. your and. When well, we're minus doing stuff on the, for the US in you know, with ATSC, and when we're doing stuff on the site, we aim for minus sixteen, which because I we're find, working to an online delivery, which I find incredibly frustrating because there's almost no headroom anywhere and everything ends yes. up pretty mullered. Um, a real, I should have seen this coming because I mean it's not like I've never put a video up on the site, but I did a tutorial recently about clip gain versus volume automation where mm. I had examples where I was going uh, and I was speaking loudly and then at normal volume and then shouting. And, and I, I gave a little warning at the beginning saying, oh, do be careful because this, this might get loud. And then, of course, after it hit the loudness specs, it was completely limited and was no louder than anything else. So, yeah, probably should have seen that um, coming. Well, that's also where um, normalisation tools actually undo all your hard work in, in, in achieving that dynamic range so the only way to deliver a a, a a program in my opinion that has the right dynamic content is to mix it that way yes um it, it, I, I really don't agree with slamming things through uh, a normalizing plugin to to achieve this target loudness because it, it's doing things out of your control and it's, it's taking over the management of the dynamic content of your mix and it's distorting the intention of what what went in and absolutely and yeah. distorting was, was, as in not distorted audio but changing yeah, yeah. yes but i mean in, in that case something i went that wasn't well, what was intended and that's yeah. and in the case for for a single a single noise that was made once in the tutorial i went well never mm. mind yeah well that's the thing also with with r128 you can have that single noise in the tutorial that's going to be up there um you know that that that's no problem um i mean where my problem comes in, I mean, Julian, you've you've surely experienced a situation where if you're watching Channel Four, um, 
you are watching, say, one of the Marvel feature films or something like that, and you find yourself not being able to hear the dialogue, you turn up the volume to hear the dialogue, then it gets to a, an action sequence, you're pinned against the back wall, your TV's almost falling over, and then it goes back to dialogue again, um, and then it goes to the adverts, and the adverts are pinning you to the, to the wall as well. Mm. Now, this is because the people who've made those films haven't done what's called a near-field mix, where they take the mix and they run it through small speakers close to them to emulate a living room environment. Uh, and all the major distributors do this because they realise that the vast majority of their income comes from sell-through. A very small percentage of their income actually comes from the cinema releases. Um, and you know the vast majority of it, especially kids' films, that's sell-through and streaming. That's the main income that comes from it. So they actually aim for that. And Netflix have applied this new standard to those near-field mixes but they're doing it to a different standard than everybody else. So I know from personal experience... They're doing experience it to, a, to a standard that's much more akin to a cinema mix. Yeah, exactly. So they're not actually... There are still complaints from people in the cinema that things are too dynamic and too loud, and they've not even attempted to address that, um, which, would be a, which would be a brave move. Um, but the... Uh, I, I, I just keep on looking at this spec and thinking, why? I, I can't really get my head around why they're trying to make a, a um, go back to the to the to this thing. I'm, I'm sure well, they've had hybrid, lots of people testing said, it for ages, but yeah, um, it just seems anyway. It, it's one of those things. I don't understand why they're trying to turn back time on this, and I, I yeah. So, I, I so, still shudder when I think back to LEQA my days. So, I mean, but to, I've got I've got two questions from this. Really, I mean, it's um, okay if things are more dynamic. Dynamic is dynamic is nice, but it's not necessarily appropriate. And if people are consuming this stuff in a living room through the built-in speakers on a cheap flat panel telly, then um, it's possibly not the best idea to try to have a very dynamic mix. Because mm-hmm. um, it's not going to work at either end of that dynamic range. Um, it's, uh, I mean, what I'm hearing is neither of you think it's a, think it's a great idea. The thing that I took I have, from I, the article, I have to say, it, it, for me, there's the, uh, there is some clever bits, and but I think the mm. numbers that they are applying in the so they've done the, the right Netflix, thing, but they've done it wrong. Yeah, they've done some things right. Mm. I did like the thing about the um, pragmatic approach to achieving this thing, whether it was a good idea or not, of taking an existing technology and appropriating it into their new system. That struck me as a smart move. Yes, taking the, the, the algorithm which Dolby created a long time ago, which was first implemented in the uh, LM100 hardware uh, meter mm. uh, and then was implemented in the Dolby uh, uh, media meter um, – which essentially is is taking what is called gated uh, a gated dialogue level. Now, one of the problems we had with when this uh, new me- uh, this new Netflix spec was announced is people m- misread uh, the spec. So they saw one spec that doesn't have a gating algorithm in the in the BS seventeen seventy style, and saw that, hang on, but they're saying it's gated and completely misread it they didn't see the word dialogue gated but even if you did see the word dialogue gated because dialogue gating this this dolby algorithm is going back 10 years or so um we never even made the the link to the fact that they were actually implementing this uh dolby dialogue intelligence algorithm which is the clever bit of software um that enables you to effectively measure the dialogue level without having a separate dialogue track and talking to some of the developers it's remarkably good at achieving that function how does it know Uh, unless you've got a mix with helicopters in it because i did one of those about 15 years ago having to meet the 27 dial norm standard and uh every time a helicopter went over it registered on the dial norm 
Yeah. I mean, it's and not it's perfect. Not foolproof. Yeah. No, it's absolutely not foolproof. But but the consensus seems to be fr- from from developers, uh, you know, working with current technology, that it is remarkably fit for purpose still as a as a as a tool to help us understand what the dialogue level is in a full mix. Um, but the the idea with this was to originally with our norm level was to be able to program that into the metadata of the content. Yes, indeed. So that at the tail end, at the user end, you could apply dynamic range control. So put your amplifier or TV into what was called night mode. So it crunched the dynamic range so that you weren't at risk of waking up the neighbours, what have you, if you were watching a film at night. Um, that never really happened, did it? Mm, no. No, it was a great idea at one level, but but the idea of, of using the consu- metadata to then control the consumer's uh, equipment was always going to be prone to... Uh, trouble problems etc and i think that's one of the reasons when bs 1770 came along we all said okay we need to set we need to set this at our end uh, by people who understand the mix and and one of the things for me the key thing in this whole issue if we just park um the technology that's being used here and actually look at the con the the, the underlying concepts the the spec uh, that Netflix have, for my taste, has a much too lower dialogue level. This dialogue level of minus 27, uh, now LKFS, rather than uh, using the LEQ dynorm, but minus 27, enables producers, audio mixers, to produce a much more dynamic mix, which is also permitted because the loudness range... The LRA can be anything up to 20, which, in my opinion, is way, way too high for a mix consumed at home. So you've got the problem that, that Alan you know, that you just described in the sense that you, you adjust your volume for the dialogue and then along comes a dramatic scene with lots of, of you know, a car chase or whatever, and you're pinned to the floor, you're pinned to the back wall, so you turn it down, and then when the dialogue comes back on, you can't hear the dialogue because it's too quiet. So what we, what this spec, for my taste, is doing is allowing uh, mixes which would work fine in a cinema in a big space, um, would work fine in that environment, but will not work fine in the, in, in the consumer's end. And as I say in the article... The reality is that here at home, we've got a decent system downstairs in the front room. Um, and we, if we are listening or watching anything like from Netflix or Amazon, we have to have the subtitles on mm. so we know what's being said. So we, we can adjust our volume of our speakers to suit the loud bits and accept that essentially we're going to follow the subtitles to work out the narrative story. And to me, this is a complete anathema. I, I have always mixed, long before loudness came along, my, my decision-making is what are the key narrative elements, whether this is a drama or a documentary. And I would always make sure that in my mix, I was thinking of the person driving down a motorway in an old Mini, not a new Mini, Mm -hmm. but the old Mini at 70 miles an hour. So the engine is screaming its heart out. Essentially, in that environment, there is very little um, dynamic range options because the ambient level, the sound of the engine and the motorway and all the rest of it is so high that if anything drops too much... You know, a few dBs effectively, um, it becomes inaudible. So I have to. I was would always look at the mix and decide what were key narrative elements. Now, most of the time, that was dialogue, but there may also be particular sound effects were, which were key cues in the story, and I needed to make sure that they could be heard by this person driving along the motorway at seventy miles an hour in an in an old car, and that's always been my philosophy. And I was doing that long before loudness came along. And for me, that same philosophy is important. Now, there are loads of other elements in my mixes, which someone who is in a quieter environment, like a domestic front room, will hear and enjoy. 
but they're not key to the story. And it's very interesting in talking to people who are uh, trying to uh, come up with technology and systems to help the hard of hearing, that what I talk about is is totally resonating with them. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I just feel it's going to limit um, creativity and sound rather than um, than extend it. Because in this quest for getting the Darnall figure up, people are going to resort to excessive location sound cleaning. They're going to they're going to resort to ADR and stuff like that. And, I, and yeah, you can do ADR really, really, really well. But at the end of the day, you're going to end up with one of these what I call American feature film seventies <laughs> style mixes, which is dialogue very dry, very clear, right up front everything else one you know around it and um, there's no perspective in it uh and, and things like that so because th- those sort of subtleties in a mix get lost so we're going to start reverting back to radio mics rather than booms well we're uh, already there by large but <laughs> well, yes we are already there and that that that's been, that's an issue that's been caused by multi-camera um, Multi-cameras, uh, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and just people getting more adventurous with the content they're producing on the small screen, as it mm. were. Um, it, it, it's, I, I just fear... And also, it's it, the, the way the spec is, is written, um, you absolutely can't use any of these normalising tools to hit the spec. You've got to mix your way into it. Yeah. There's no way that uh, a normalizing tool will work with this spec. Um, so there's going to be problems for when you come to, to post-production. I mean, yeah, Amazon and Netflix, and the, the, you know, they're, they're quite famous for not really having huge budgetary constraints on their, on, on their flagship shows and their flagship films, but it, it's one of these sort of pyramid-style structures. They've got three or four, maybe five, massive titles and then everything else beneath it is sort of sub bbc3 standard um yeah our us listeners or whoever probably won't understand that but bbc3 is the <laughs> is the lower budget bbc channel which is just online only now um and we always used to get that uh talking from producers saying oh can you do us a good quote for the post production on this because it's only going out on digital yeah, it's not going out on the main channel, so it, it's uh, it's um, it, uh, we we've been we've been working so hard to make it so that people can hear every single word of what's going on. And my 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 sense of achievement is that people do hear everything that that goes on generally because there are very good tools available now that can help me balance you know music properly against dialogue against sound effects, and I can make sure that things only pop up when they're meant to. Mm. I don't know. It's an odd one. My question was just going to be, what I'm hearing is uh, is this spec is potentially difficult to meet, and uh, if, it's, if it's imposed strictly and it's difficult to do, then if the skill required to deliver an on-spec mix goes up, is that good or bad for people doing the work? Because if it's more difficult, then more skilled people will be required to meet it which might kind of up the value of the work, potentially? The issue is is that it creatively changes the mix. So if you do the mix with the director for the cinema, then the director then has to also be in attendance for the streaming mix because you are going to have to make subjective creative changes to the mix to do that. So it takes more time, and it takes more time for everybody. This is the thing. Um, the the AES streaming specs are very compatible with cinema specs uh, for for short form. Um, they're very compatible with cinema mixes for 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 long form as well. Um, and it, it, I just I just think it's going to cost people a lot more money, not just the people who are doing the mixes. Um, and I really can't see production companies saying. Oh yeah, that's fine. Have a 
an extra five days in the mix to produce the alternate <laughs> version. Yeah, I can really see that happening. Not. Yes. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I don't completely agree with you on, on this point. I, I would say, in, in my opinion, um, that the Netflix spec of basically minus 27 dialogue level and you know LRA of 20 is a pretty dynamic cinema type mix i.e the sort of mix that works fine in a big space like a cinema mix Mm. Uh, i think it's not difficult uh, my opinion is it it isn't difficult to produce a netflix um compatible uh, mix my question is that my my beef is that that mix is not going to work in a domestic environment or in a or or on the on a computer or whatever it outside of a big quiet space as in a cinema theater that style of mix where the dialogue is much quieter and you've got a wide dynamic range of music and effects uh, for long periods of time that mix will never work uh, outside of a cinema theater i absolutely agree with you i really do um and i think yeah again we, the wheel has been invented four years ago <laughs> and i, I I think it's uh, I I think it's a little bit pointless to try and do that. Plus, also, let's remember this isn't um, a change of specification for Netflix. It's an additional one because they've got two levels of content. They've got their Netflix streaming content, which is the you know the various famous TV shows and such like this, and they still apply. They still work to R128 or the US equivalent. However, it's this new, supposedly cinema content, which the new standard applies to. So when you, if you take on a project for Netflix, you're going to have to be very careful about what it actually is, whether it's the, um, I can't remember the exact term of it, but it's the Netflix, Netflix originals or the Netflix TV style content. Um, so it's, I think it's, it's not replacing the spec. It's just, it's adding another layer of difficulty to trying to make things all meet. And I don't know whether this is some way of also Netflix trying to ensure that their, um, Netflix originals content stays on Netflix, you know, so that it doesn't end up being broadcast in a few years time on channel four. My understanding is that this new spec relates to anything in terms of Netflix original. So all those TV series, et cetera, that you talk about, my understanding is that this uh, relates to that because if you look in the uh, the best practice advice that comes with this spec, you, as we've talked about before, this refers to near-field monitoring. This is, this, is, this is a spec for content that is going to be delivered to the consumer in in a home context i've just found the actual the actual specific um uh difference between the two i'll get my teeth in in a second right so this new spec applies to what's called in quotation marks netflix originals delivery specifications oc31 correct whereas all the other stuff that's been going out on their thing is netflix licensed content delivery specification 8.1 Ooh, okay. Which requires NIG 24, UFS, ATSC, yeah. 85. Yeah, yeah. So this is Netflix original content. And again, to a degree, this com- to me comes back to the point that this is effectively co- content a la cinema. And therefore yeah. we get back into the... And the spec, we're getting back into that loop. But, but my problem with this spec is that it creates a cinema mix designed for which will work in big spaces but won't create a, 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 a mix that will work at the in the home i mean this also could be a big vanity project by netflix um there was a great episode of family guy on the tv last night the whole plot was that they weren't winning any awards so they were trying every trick in the book to win awards for you know an emmy for or anything any category so they were trying hard-hitting drama they were trying their own version of breaking bad they were trying for comedy everything like that and they were just not getting anywhere now i think netflix have realized hey we're making feature films now um if we can set them apart 
and say that we've got a theatrical release for in a, in a few cinemas in Texas for a few days, that qualifies us for Oscars. <laughs> you think they're chasing I mean, an quite, Oscar? Excellent. <laughs> I think they're chasing respectability. So, whereas you know Sky, well, say Sky, who are you know UK and well worldwide uh, satellite broadcaster, um, they put all their feature content through Fox. They've got a separate production company that does all their feature content, uh, 20th Century Fox. So whereas Netflix don't, they don't have a pseudonym, they don't have a sister company or anything like that. So I, I have a feeling this is just them trying to clear, yeah, yeah, put a, draw a line between their, um, and I, I had to be careful here because I can't remember which, which shows are exactly on which, on which channels, <laughs> but things like Orange is the New Black. Uh, they want they're trying they're trying to draw a line between that and their new feature film releases. I think uh, they're, they're trying to tie their content into that delivery system and into various hardware and such like that. Because as you say, Mike, I think this is only, these sort of mixes are only going to work if you're if everyone is sat there with noise cancelling headphones on, or they've got their home cinema rooms or whatever. Yes, anyway. Um, I think we probably, looking at the clock, ought to move oh, yes. along. <laughs> I was just going to ask what spec uh, the video I shared with Alan today off the BBC News website was delivered to, which had the music on the right-hand channel and the dialogue on the left. Absolutely no spec whatsoever. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Yes. We, that, that gets into multi-scaling uh, territory, which is another shall, shall story. Shall I share, shall I share the definition, the word that I shared with Julian? Go on. Yeah, vidiot, oh. <laughs> which is a video editor or picture editor who thinks they know more about sound than the dummy mixer, and uh, just bang stuff out and um, do various naughty things like normalising every single element of the mix and then pushing out and saying, "Oh, it must be to spec. I've, I've normalised all the components." And check the mix on their phone and therefore yes, miss exactly, the uh, yeah. panning issues. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They, the, the thing is that BBC News that BBC News article was probably actually checked by somebody in one of the pods at uh, yeah. Broadcasting House on their have, iPad. Yeah, and so no separation and wouldn't have noticed that the music was on one channel and the <laughs> speech was on the other. Yes, Excellent. indeed. Hey, there we go. Indeed. Uh, Julian, competitions. Check out competitions from our partners in the Partner Win section on the Win page. This month, the team at Puzzle Factory Sound Studios are giving the production expert community an exclusive chance to win one of two tickets for the next Mixed Direction Masterclass with mix engineer Dax Linier to be held on the 27th of October 2018. Click the link in the show notes to find out more. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Dan is... Uh, it's interesting that Dax is the guy that's been doing quite a few tu uh, tutorials with uh, James. And so if you uh, have enjoyed those tutorials uh, and you'd like to learn from the man direct, face-to-face, -face, uh, then uh, check out uh, this competition and see, enter, and you may be one of those lucky people who will be able to take part in that next uh, max that next masterclass. So our next talking point, I suppose, um, it sort of links to the first one, yeah. um, if everyone's not asleep a little bit, um, <laughs> in that uh, we sort of discussed in the previous talking point that uh, this spec was not able to be hit by using uh, one-stop-shop Magic Bullet plugins. Um, now, we heard at the beginning of the podcast that Isotope have announced RX-7, and there's seven all... Uh, groundbreaking new features going to be in there including the the, the chance to um change the intonation of dialogue mm -hmm. performance and um which we've all wished for at some point we've all wished that we could change the performance we all wish there was a magic performance filter button on the mixing desk uh and the directors have certainly asked us for that several <laughs> times <laughs> a week um but i starting to worry that we're taking away the importance of getting it right first time. What do you think? Well, where's, just, just just give us a sort of bit more of an insight um, before I jump in with both feet and all the rest of it. Um, what sort of things are you are, are you thinking about in terms of, obviously, if we're talking isotope, then we're talking sort of denoising and... Or those sorts of uh, of things but obviously you are presumably advocating getting it right down the microphone uh, is that is that the direction you're going 
That's that's pretty much what I'm saying. I mean, this is the thing. Uh, yeah, as we were saying about the um, the way that I, that the new spec, this new Netflix spec, is putting the it seems to be saying about you should acquire the dialogue at the correct level. Um, so it, it's starting to push the sort of impetus down the line a bit more, back towards the production side. But uh, so, for example, a, a, a talented production sound mixer can fit a radio mic in such a way that it gets no rustle and it sounds every bit as good as the boom. We really don't, you know, what you need is more talented production sound mixers who know how to to fit radio mics properly and less having to rely on D-crackle, which um, on one comedy series that I had where they really relied on uh, radio mics, that was being used pretty much on every single line. Mm. Um... And then secondly, if we're, if we're talking about changing the intonation, won't we start running into trust issues with the performers, with the artists? I mean, if, you know, I, I've had it before where an artist has you know, delivered an ADR line to miles out of sync and has just turned around and, yeah, you can fix that, can't you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, but it's going to destroy your performance. And they said, well, I've already destroyed the performance by doing ADR anyway, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and they were doing ADR because of technical issues, which, yeah, you could probably fix using something like RX. Um, but then, again, it, it, it does take... St- it, yeah, no matter how good f- fixing software is, it starts taking away from the impotence of getting it right first time. Um, and, and I think, yeah, with things like... Uh, the various auto-tune, you know, we, we've been around the houses of auto-tune and everything a lot as well. That takes the impetus, the, the importance out of getting it right first time as well. And I think there's a certain magic to something that's right, that's been acquired correctly anyway. Um, and, and I'm sure it's the same in music as it is in post-production. I would far rather hear the, you know, the original dialogue track than something that's had to be processed to oblivion to, to get it to be legible. I don't know if you might don't know if you find the same in radio. I don't know if you, how much sort of location sound that goes into an awful lot of those things. I remember one of my early days in BBC Bristol, um, completely recreating um, the sound for a, a documentary section that was being shot in a church, um, which was in the centre of a roundabout. So it was covered <laughs> in traffic noise and it mm. wouldn't cut together at all. Hmm. Um, so, w- w- what are your feelings on this? Do you think we're going to run into trust issues with the, with the artists? Because you know, the, the, the one thing they hate is having their performance changed. I can yeah. I can guarantee you that. I, I I think. Don't get me wrong. I think it is. We should make every attempt to get to capture a good performance, and that's as much a responsibility of the talent the actors and or, or whoever is de- delivering the the words um because it, it can be a different scenario in the case of a documentary um but i think it's really important we should try and get everything as good as we can down the microphone i mean it's the same principle as you say with, with things like autotune let's let's work really hard at getting the performance in tune um but give or take, uh, I, again, coming back to sensibly and creative use of autotune, I would go for us, if I had to choose between two takes, one of which was bang in tune, but had no feel to it, mm. and one that was slightly out of tune that had some feel to it, my view is I can fix within limits i can fix the out of tuneness with carefully used uh tuning software i can't inject there is no plugin yet which injects that um what uh, whatever it is that that sense of occasion that when that when it, it just delivers the emotion but maybe isn't quite perfect in tune. And and the same thing, I would argue, applies here. But also, pragmatically, um, the reality is that with all the stresses and strains that we have uh, in acquiring content, for instance, you take a studio-based program, even something quite 
um, simple, shall we say. Um, there is so many, so much stuff in a decent TV studio that's making mm. noise, like lights screaming and fans in very lights and fans in projectors yeah. and all that stuff that we essentially have torn sense of purposes no choice but to use this technology and um, there are also scenarios where material has been acquired in less than ideal conditions and there's no opportunity for for getting it back going back and doing it again um, so coming back to your original question in terms of radio, most of my work in radio was documentary, 90% of which was recorded on location mm. um, by a producer. There was rarely a sound recordist um, on location with them. The budgets in radio just wouldn't stretch that most of the mm. time. Um, and so, yes, uh, I was, uh, I still do turn to things like Isotope RX to uh, make content um, usable. The, the, the classic example that, that, I, uh, that I often refer to, uh, I, was, uh, I was editing and mixing a Radio 4 uh, documentary series, um, called, uh, which essentially was about a GP, a general practitioner doctor, who was uh, getting dementia. And so she understood exactly what was going on, but she was also struggling with with onset of dementia and forgetting mm. things. So she had stories about um, where she br brought the shopping in, she put it on the cooker, and then turned the hob on to cook something. And, of course, um, things started burning. Uh, and because she'd forgotten that she'd put the shopping there for you know a little while ago. Now mm -hmm. the the challenge I had with this is obviously she was not well. We had to the, the producers had to to pick on a good day, and so one producer went down and spent a day with her, acquired a whole load of material. But when they started putting it together, they realised they didn't have enough information to be able to tell the story because the one of the key briefs is we didn't want to have to use a narrator to join the dots up the whole yeah. brief was this story needed to tell itself and so they went back or different producer with a different recording setup went back and recorded a whole load more material and in order to tell this story nicely and and, and to give a narrative I was ending up having to cross cut between material recorded on different days mm -hmm. uh, and so consequently her voice was different um different recorders different microphones uh, so the sound between the two sessions if you like was very different and without um rx uh, ambience match uh, dialogue isolate I couldn't have produced the program in such a way that met the original uh, editorial brief, which was that the story told itself. Um, that, to me, is is using though using the tools that we now have, and as uh, Isotope and others develop new uh, technology. I mean, to me, R RX six was a huge. Uh, jump up in terms of being able to fix things that i'd never been able to fix yeah mm. you know you talked about radio mike russell yeah we use things like d crackle but it never really did the job yeah and now we've got th machine learning i don't like calling it artificial intelligence because it's not it's machine learning you you give stuff to a machine to learn and to analyze and then it it can do something and that mach those machine learning um uh plugins that came in with RxSick, like the D-Wind and the D-Russell, were absolutely phenomenal and enabled us to, to effectively turn stuff around that we'd never been able to turn around before. Um, so I, I think I'd take a more pragmatic approach. Don't get me wrong. I would say I'm not against the technology and I'm not against using it. Um, what, I did, what I am against is when it gets used... It's uh, an awful lot when it doesn't need to be. It shouldn't need to be used. Um, I, I, 
chatted through an example with you um, last week about um, a retune thing that I had to do. Um, I'm not at liberty to talk about it because it's pre-release, but that could have been so easily avoided mm. if they just shot it correctly in the first place. Yeah, And I'm just... I mean, do you find this, Julian, with music? Do you find that people are starting to think, oh, no, I can fix that in post? Are you, are you starting to find this? Are you trying to find that things? Cause, I I'm mean, not sure there's uh, one answer to that because it very much depends who you're talking about because approaches are so different. I mean, I was, I was saying, I think it might have been the last podcast I was on, about um, uh, the, the thing about recording that interests me is capturing performances. To the mm. point where I, 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 yeah, sure, I'll drop in, but I, I, I really, I really prefer just to do a new take, just because you lose something, you inevitably lose something when you start cutting stuff together. And on just, just on a drop in, it's not going to make a difference. But you know, okay, you're dropping in, then you're copying and pasting BVs from one chorus to another, then you're kind of, you know, pulling. You know, it's, where do you stop? And I, I like the the idea of just being able to go and, you know, take some kind of multi-track photograph of something that actually happened. I, I really like that. And there's loads of approaches. Other people build stuff up sample by sample, and that's perfectly legitimate and every bit is valid. I want to jump in, um, rather than going to music, the whole time you guys were talking about that and saying, oh, is this going too far? Is that not going too far? And then Mike's story about the um, uh, the, the GP. And I was just thinking, whatever happened to Adobe Voco? <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> oh, yes. I think somewhat over... A, um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been checking it out, and yeah, it looks like it's not being developed. And I think I, I think lawyers heard about it and said, "You've done what?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, um, I was just hearing that where you've got kind of like missing bits, and I'm thinking, "Oh, if you had that, it would be so tempting." Hmm. Um, but yeah, nobody has that apart from some very few people in Adobe. So you know, um, if, if anyone listening to the podcast a- doesn't know what that is, have a look. We've got some stuff on the site about yeah. it, but it was mm, extraordinary. Indeed. If it could, I think it's one of these uh, ideas that actually, when you started to try and make it happen in reality, also wasn't. It, we were talking. We, we were at a point where the technology really couldn't do it uh, right, because I mean, the amount of content you have to capture to start to be able to do something like that. Yeah, is, yeah, it's just yeah, not practical. I'm, ironically, with um, one of my favourite ever tunes is a track by Jerry Rafferty called "Get It Right Next Time." And there's a there's a percussion element to that, which when you first hear it, you think, God, that's out of time. That's just out. And then you start, then you get more used to it and you actually get into the groove of the track and you get into the feel of the track and actually it, it works. It works there. But if that had been put through a more recent producer with more recent technology and they could have fixed it, mm. it wouldn't have had Absolutely. anywhere near the soul. One yeah. one of my favourite examples of that is, I mean, I'm I'm so surprised at how intolerant I am these days of of out of tune vocals of stuff that at the time I didn't notice um, because it wasn't out of tune in quite the same way. Do you see what I mean? The kind mm. of like the target has has definitely moved. Mm. I heard on the radio, I heard um, uh, massive attack, uh, un, unfinished sympathy, and I, I, there's barely a, a note in that that's in. I mean, it's extraordinary. A couple of them are quite quite painful, but uh, well, it's yeah, a beautiful it track. Matter. Though well, that's the thing. Know. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, there's lots and lots of things, and once you can do something about them, you you let them go. But I mean, there's such a. I mean, I think I think the underlying point, perhaps, uh, just to finish off, Alan, is just because you can fix it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Absolutely, and I think on that note, we do need to move on. Um. At the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned uh, that we have an exclusive uh, deal for podcast listeners only from Exponential Audio. Um, And in a moment, we're going to read out a special coupon code. So right now, get pen and paper ready, because this will not be in the show notes. We'll talk about the deal in the show notes, but the actual uh, coupon code that you need will only be talked about in the show itself. So here goes. Um, To get this offer, you must use the US dollar part of the Exponential Audio Store. 
It won't work in the euros part. But don't worry, because if you you're, if you would normally use the euro part of the store, or if you're not US-based, using the US part of the store, currency exchange will be handled automatically at the time of purchase. So don't feel that you're being left out if you don't use US dollars. You can use the US dollars part of the store, and the system will do the appropriate currency conversion. So the deal. For the rest of this month, September, you can get stereo versions of the Exponential Audio Phoenix Verb, the Exponential Audio Phoenix Verb, R2, or the stereo bundle of both of those, with a 35% discount. So you go to the US part of the store, you you put your you select which ones of those you want and then join the checkout process there will be the option to add a coupon code and here comes the magic code that you will only hear on the podcast it's pte school days now i'm going to spell this and it's also case sensitive so pte school days is all one word and is spelt capital p t e S, so all those are capitals, then lowercase k, lowercase k, u, l, e, then capital D, and then lowercase a, z, e. So caps, p, t, e, s, lowercase k, u, l, e, capital D, and then lowercase a, z, e. PTE school days. So make a note of that, and if you put that into the coupon code part of the US dollars uh, exponential audio store, as long as you are ordering a Phoenix Stereo Phoenix Verb, Stereo R2, or the Stereo Bundle of them both, you will get a 35% discount. Okay, on to questions from the community, sponsored by RSPE Audio. The Pro Tools Expert Community Feedback is brought to you with the kind support of RSPE Audio Solutions. Great people and great prices. Save 20% off Pro Tools Media Composer and Sibelius software during the Avid Labor Day sale at RSPE Audio. Just use the code LABOR20, but hurry, this deal only runs through to September the 4th. That's today, so hurry. Mark DeWaters has been in touch this isn't necessarily a Pro Tools question, but you've always been so helpful and responsive. I thought I'd try you first. I'm wondering how it is that people share music with each other when they're working on projects. In my situation, I'm the writer, arranger, instrumentalist for everything, but I record other people on the vocal tracks. In the course of making revisions or trying out new mixes, I send MP3s of the songs to the vocalist through Dropbox because I don't know of any other way to share them. Is there some other method that people use that I'm not thinking of? I think there might be. Um, I'm somewhat uneducated when it comes to things like this. I don't work in the music industry, and I don't really know anyone that does home recording. As always, I welcome any thoughts you may have. Um, okay, well, there's definitely something that springs to mind, but who, who wants to take this? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up, because to me, one of the things that, the, the Avid Cloud collaboration, which came out with Pro Tools 12.5, is very much aimed at people like you, Mark, um, people uh, working at home uh, who need to involve somebody else as part of the process. And so the good news is, although you own Pro Tools, anybody you're collaborating with, so for instance, a vocalist, doesn't necessarily have to have a, a, a bought version of Pro Tools because if they download uh, Pro Tools first, they can collaborate with you at no additional cost as long as you got a full, uh, you know, whether it's Pro Tools uh, vanilla, as I call it, Pro Tools native or Pro Tools HD, as long as you've got that, then you can use you can be the host of cloud collaboration and they can uh, collaborate with you using Pro Tools first. Um, that's certainly one way of doing it, other than the system that you talk about in terms of dropping uh, files on Dropbox. So you can send, as you say, you can send files of, say, the track, uh, if you're sending it to a singer, and they can record 
their vocals to that track and then send you back uh hopefully not an mp3 of that (laughs) (laughs) um and then you can integrate that into your package uh alan where would you come at this well in in post it's um slightly more complex and uh cloud collaboration doesn't quite cut it for us with that um we tend to circumvent it by bouncing out stems and and what have you because yeah um the problem is that cloud collaboration doesn't do video tracks and and such like that so it's trickier with that um the biggest issue um i find as as a as a post-production engineer uh, and and self-employed and running my own business is that it matters to me that I get paid for my work. So I'm not going to send anything of master quality to the client before that I've been paid. Um, yes. So, and, and I think it, it's quite important in an intellectual property aspect on that sort of thing. So that's where cloud collaboration is brilliant. Um, but there are other tools um, for post-production, things like Frame.io, uh, which are brilliant in my in my estimation. I think they're really, really good because they use the same principle as all the streaming music companies have adopted. And that's the best way to stop people pirating your media is to never give them give them it in the first place. And that that's that that's the point with that. So I mean, if that, that's a, diff, a slightly different part of it, where you know, if you're say bouncing back and forth review mixes to your client or to yeah. your collaborator and stuff like that, and you're you're concerned about your intellectual property getting into the wrong hands. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, democratizing the collaboration process, I think that the, the cloud collaboration is perfect for him, definitely. Julian, what about you? Um, well, I mean, you don't need. To, it depends what you're doing, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with sharing. I'd preferably, I'd prefer to do WAVs personally, but an, an MP3 will do. The uh, the most streamlined in terms of bandwidth uh, collaboration I've ever done was um, uh, with a collaborator of mine who used to send a mono mix on the left hand side of an MP3. And uh, the part that he wanted me to learn on the right, which is quite a, quite a good way of doing it actually, and that was just for for learning um, learning material rather than uh, recording anything. But as long as you as long as you're padding back your um, your takes back to time zero so that everything can line up properly, um, going between Easily. different DAWs, it's a perfectly viable way of of, of working. It's there's nothing wrong with it, uh, and it works and it's extremely flexible because it's so simple. Um, the online stuff, if you want to do that, absolutely do it. That's what those things are there for. And they're, they're a much more um, uh, real-time experience. The thing that I'm actually waiting for, which is only really being done in places that have really good internet connection, is real-time collaboration over the internet. Mm. That isn't viable unless you're in a university, frankly, these days. But what's happening... You know, in in universities today, will be happening in people's homes in however many years' time, and that's a really interesting idea. And people have tried it, but the network's just not there at the moment. But like anything, it gets faster. So, um, whatever works for you, do that because as long as you're getting what you need out the other end, it doesn't matter how you got there. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you will know that how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be, and even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser with no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Okay, so uh, Finder of the Week... Um, Alan, what's yours? Well, um, I ended up getting very, very, very frustrated with my old Motu Ultralight hybrid um, because it was doing that thing, even when running on a firewire connection of just randomly dropping off the connection. And uh, when you're in the middle of a busy mix, um, the last thing you want is Pro Tools going, I can't find my audio interface anymore. So given that I'd had very good, very good times with my RME Fireface 802, I took a look around eBay and found a lovely secondhand RME Babyface, which um, despite the the 
tiny size, haven't it? Tiny footprint, and it's bus powered. Um, well, you can hear the results for yourself. I'm recording through it at the moment, and uh, it instantly sounds a whole lot richer, a whole lot nicer, and it's rock solid in its reliability, as as all RME kit is. So, I thoroughly recommend if you if you think that your dream kit is unattainable. Give it a couple of years, have a look around eBay, and you'll probably find it. So, Julian, what's yours? Uh, mine's Fuzz Measure. Uh, Fuzz Measure, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, it's distributed by Rode these days, and it's it's some very geeky software for uh, making measurements, creating impulse responses, getting waterfall plots, and uh, stuff like that. And I, I like it. I've used Smart in the past um, and a couple of other things, which are kind of very uh, probably aimed at engineers, like proper engineers with degrees and things. But uh, this is, it's light touch. It's kind of, it's friendly, but it does everything that I need it to. And I'm really impressed. It's just a really nice bit of software. So, yeah. Yeah. I never really got on with uh, smart at all. Uh, whereas fuzz measure definitely uh, would totally concur. Mm. Um, was able to make it do what I needed to do quite quickly. Um, Mike, what about you? What's your find of the week? Well, um, we've already kind of alluded to it um, with the RX-7 uh, on the way, um, and I now have to tread an incredibly different tightrope, uh, an incredibly difficult tightrope for re- for reasons that I can't even talk about, but there we go. Um, they have announced that um, what they've said is that uh, RX-7 will soon be available and you'll be able to reshape the intonation of a dialogue performance. So if you've got, uh, if you've, again, it was, what happens here is if you recut uh, a speech, um, to reorder the words and you and the sentence ends with a rising inflection that's not the end of a sentence you want something which ends up in a rising inflection and what uh, they are looking at is a tool to do just that and um, they've got a tool uh, that they're already talking about to rebalance music elements in a mix so to effectively to be able to adjust the music speech balance um, they're talking about the uh, perhaps nirvana of remove, uh, isolating or removing vocals from a song. Uh, that one I, I look forward to uh, to see because that's always been uh, one of those. Um, how can I make gold uh, mm. <laughs> from from rust um, type uh, scenarios? And then finally, one that we have all been waiting for for a very long time with RX is the uh, support for multi-channel audio all the way up from uh, anything more than stereo, uh, including ambisonics, all the way up to Dolby Atmos 7.1.2. So uh, that news has to be my find of the week. So, Mike... Are you telling me that they've developed something that's going to be able to remove upspeak from people who no say comment. that everything's like a question? So uh, we're um, going to get rid of Australian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah. Um, no comment. Because <laughs> anything I say despite, will get me in trouble. <laughs> despite despite our talk, conversation earlier, I, I am actually very excited about this, so it'd be interesting to see it because, yeah. Yeah. RX has massively helped me over the last few years, so I'm I'm quite excited to see that. Mm. So, on that uh, piece of revelation, uh, it's good night from me. It's good night from me, and it's good night from me. Good night. <laughs>